0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about helping you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into the show. So this episode is the start of a new series that I've been working on literally for the past three or four years, Uh, whether that's teaching at art school or teaching my MFBA class or my one-on-one talks or just trying to figure out this path myself, uh, this, uh, this series is called The Creative Career Path. And uh, it's what I learned in my own journey, and also studying and trying to find the patterns in the consistently successful creative people, people that develop a craft and success, successfully succeed, and, successfully succeed. That's a great term. Uh, but the people that kind of methodically do it like professionals uh, in, the, in the kind of uh, in the way that they consistently break through and level up. Uh, over time I've been obsessed with and I've been a student of creative careers and, and how to what is the method what's the path what's the journey because uh, I don't think it's random because if you compare the the super successful creatives um, that, are, that, that aren't that are one hit wonders that aren't just the flavor of the month you're going to find all of these patterns and in those patterns and, and testing them myself I've developed this process this kind of uh, seven step process uh that I call the creative career path and I wanted to make it into a book but you know that pathway to making that happen um you know that might still happen I think it would make great content as a book and I hope to turn it into a book one day but I'm so tired of sitting on it I got to get it out to you guys so I'm doing it as a podcast series and it starts this is kind of like the the big forward intro episode where I kind of tell my story. This is kind of my keynote talk. Uh, I've done versions of this live in a bunch of different places and developed it over time and tried to unearth what my kind of creative career hero's journey, creative career path was uh, and define that and, and be able to kind of boil it down. And this is it. So this is my story. This is like deep within my heart. And it's kind of the precursor to the more, Uh, it has like the big, big lessons from my career, but it's kind of the big story before we get into the practical side of, uh, there's still big practical takeaways, but, um, it's kind of like the heart of this journey before we start getting into the nuts and bolts. And so that's what this is. I hope you love it. Um, I might be in a town near you someday soon telling this story or a new version of this story. Um, if you are inspired by it and you want to bring it to your team, uh, let me know, just send me an email and we'll talk about, um, bring it to your conference or team or whatever. Um, this is kind of my big talk and I wanted to get it out there kind of officially on the podcast. Um, I'm super passionate about it and I'm so pumped to share it with you. And I'm so pumped to share this, uh, this journey with you. We're gonna get more into what that all is in kind of a more specific way in the next episode. But before we do, here's kind of the story behind the story. Here it is. So when I was little, I loved being the creative goofball weirdo that didn't fit in for the most part. Now, uh, the only real reason I didn't like it was that my mom left me and my older brother with my dad when I was like one or two. And the only reason I really didn't like being a weirdo was that I was left in boring, ordinary world with my dad and my brother who are like the sports, math, nut, uh, nerds, (laughs) guys, you know, that just love basketball. They watch so much basketball. I'd end up sticking my head into the cushions of the couch with like tears in my eyes because I didn't take any more basketball. I was so sick of that world. And, uh, you know, but I loved being like my mom. My mom was the ADHD weirdo, goofball, loud, silly, creative person. She could draw with the best of them. You know, while my brother was out there collecting sports cards, trading cards, you know, we'd go to Mike's playing cards, that shop, and he'd get all these basketball cards, baseball cards, football cards, and I would get the X-Men cards, and I was crazy about them. I put them all in this binder uh, I loved the artwork on them and I and I would pretend to be, I I used to like pick five different X-Men and I would have all five of their powers and I would be like my own superhero. And uh, my mom drew this amazing Wolverine on the back of my binder with a Sharpie and I took it to school and I was so proud of it and so excited. And I loved being just like her and everybody in my life, all of my aunts and uncles and in. Grandparents and everything would always say, "You are just like her. You're just like her," and and I loved it because I worshipped her. Uh, I just thought she was the coolest person in the universe, um, even though I didn't get to see her that much. And, or maybe I should say, but as I got older and uh, you know, was heading towards adulthood, becoming a teenager my relationship to being this type of person, being like my mom, uh started to kind of evolve and change and shift as i got older because uh as i got older all the things that kind of the ordinary world valued uh i didn't really measure up on. I did i couldn't do sports. I couldn't. I wasn't that great at school, especially math class, and which seemed like the school thought that was the most important class you know, understandably so to, to many degrees, uh, was not good at that. And, uh, and then even in my work, I had a part-time job. I was forced to have a part-time job to learn some skills or some work ethic or something. I was just absolutely horrible at just being the bottom rung, like on the, on the ladder of work, of the workforce, I was just the worst. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't be a cashier at this movie theater. I would just lose money all the time and be really ashamed of myself. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it. And I like hated working there. I tried to, I tried to get out of every shift that I could leave early or trade with somebody else, because I don't know if it's ADHD or what, but when I would go into that little box for eight hours, I would be full of crazy anxiety and stress. And I would leave with a terrible stomach ache, and I just hated it. So it was just this mixture of like, just hating being stuck in that place, doing this thing, doing this terrible job at this math and losing money and this shame, it was just a ball of anxiety and shame. That's what work and, and be, getting closer to being an adult was like. And uh, and as that's happening, in tandem with that, I'm watching my mom go from being my hero to uh, <sighs> being something else. Uh, I'm watching her life kind of devolve into a tragedy because she can't stick with anything. And work, just like it is for me, is really hard for her. And she can't even stick with the family. So she leaves another two kids and family for an abusive boyfriend. And uh, the thing that she can stick at is substances. And she's stuck with those really hardcore. And that's getting worse. And she's picking up further habits. And the substance abuse is getting to the extreme levels, uh, if you can just imagine without me painting a, a completely perfect picture of that. Uh, hardcore drug addiction and she starts developing these seizures that she won't take medicine for because the medicine ruins are high and she ultimately develops this brain tumor that's cancerous and she has to get it removed and so they remove this tumor from her brain and actually takes out part of her vocabulary while she's while they're at it And I go to my grandma's house where she's staying after the surgery to visit her. And she's working on these first grade level vocab sheets. And she has all these emotions. And, you know, she's always been a very emotional person, uh, very uh, heavy on communication. And she clearly has all these things she wants to say, but she can't say anything to me. I think the only things I can really remember her saying are... Uh, I love you so much and I'm so, so, so sorry. And uh, all of a sudden I'm watching this person in this dire state spiraling downward year after year and I'm struggling with my own uh, journey towards adulthood and, and these words are ringing in my ear From my childhood you're just like her and i'm looking at her like she's a a prophetic vision of doom for my future and i remember really feeling like this to an extreme to where like i remember thinking and i i don't even know if i've admitted this on the podcast before but i remember thinking uh, I, my only plan B, I didn't even have a plan A, so this was kind of my stand-in plan A, was that worse comes to worse as I get older, I'm pretty good at acting ridiculous uh, and, and being absurd. Maybe I could fake insanity, and they would put me into some kind of home, and I'd be taken care of and, and whatever and, I'm, and I know that sounds absolutely insane and it is, but that's how kind of like lost I was and how I had no idea what I was going to do with my future. I just could not see a path uh, to, to what I could do to be a thriving adult. And I was petrified of being a dad. I was petrified of being a husband and, and having these responsibilities and bills. And I even remember thinking, how, how does someone, re- how do, there's so many things to manage as an adult. How do you have band-aids in your house? Those are the things I was worried about. Like how, how can you remember to have these things in your house? All oh, There's so many things to remember and do. And, uh, and I, and I was just looking at my mom, petrified of what was gonna happen next. So I'm like uh, getting into drugs and living for the weekend, like sneaking around, uh, tr- trying to avoid my parents and teachers and following into my mom's footsteps pretty much verbatim at the time. And, uh, and, and like I said, just completely lost and seeing no real path for a person like me. And then one day, something really normal but completely life-changing happened. I go into Spanish class and my friend, Will Johnston, who isn't famous, I'm not saying his full name because he's famous, he's just like a first and last namer, he's just one of those people, he's not Will, he's Will Johnston, and he was playing this music on the boombox before Spanish class, and I'd never heard anything like it before. Before this moment, uh, I was just drowning all of my sorrows at night to the sounds of boys to men, uh, t- just uh, you know going home. I was kind of uh, emo, but with R and B. Uh, but then I heard this music, and it was Modest Mouse, and I'd never heard anything like it. I wasn't even sure that I liked it. It was just so different than anything I'd ever heard. And I went out and bought the album that day and I just listened to it on repeat over and over and over again until it clicked. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was so friggin' obsessed with it. And I started diving into this subculture and I wanted to know everything about like, where does this stuff come from? Why is it like it is? What is this weird creative juice that I'd never seen before? And it was like literally a window stepping from the ordinary world that I grew up in that I didn't fit into the sports and math world, in the, in the cashier world. And it was a doorway and a secret window to another dimension like Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole moment. And I step into this world and I'm surrounded by all this creativity and all this merchandise and these posters and this illustration and this design and this just amazing ephemera around this music and culture. And I just go freaking bonkers for it. And... Uh, and, and I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like these posters, this illustration, this stuff, I feel like I could do it. And for the first time, this like path opened up that I'd never seen to a future that I never knew was possible. Like, I didn't even think I could get rich or be super successful, but I thought I wouldn't have to go live in some kind of institution there could be i could have uh some money i could pay bills maybe even i could have a family one day uh and 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 not and stick around for my kids and uh and it was this like magical path and at the very same time my dad got transferred to uh a job in the uk this is right when i'm graduating high school and i get this opportunity to go do uh Uh, go, go do an illustration major in the UK. And it's like in this moment, I remember feeling like there was this really faint, still whisper saying that your creative career destiny is waiting for you as soon as you're ready. As soon as you're ready, the key to unlocking your creative career destiny is waiting for you. And I was like, yes, to the call to adventure. I was waiting for this moment my whole life. I said, I'm jumping through this portal into this creative world, and I'm ready to pick up the key. If the key is waiting for me to unlock this creative career destiny, I'm re- I'm ready to pick it up, man. And I said, yes, to going to the UK. Yes, to going to school for illustration. And I was ready to make this thing happened. So I go to the school in the UK and I'm, and I'm ready to pick up this key that that whisper was talking about and unlock my creative career destiny and get to business. And uh, instead of finding a key I find a long winding confusing maze because I'm at school feeling like I'm making no progress back you know even though these are more my people than anybody I've ever met I feel like I'm you know it's similar to being in high school in a way uh and I'm and I'm looking at like I like a lot of the things that help you win in this school situation are still things that don't come natural to me and, uh, you know, even if my creative solutions are really good, uh, the, the, the coursework behind them I'm still struggling with. And even after school, I see that there's not really a clear path to doing the type of work that I want to do. And I feel like I could do that work. I feel confident. Like I could do the illustration that I want to do, um, but I don't, I don't have confidence myself to get through this maze. Like I don't know if I have what it takes to go through it. And because of that, I start thinking I've got to find some kind of shortcut around this maze. I've got to figure out a way to skip to the end. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of in a place where I'm looking for strategies and tactics uh, and, and really in a way like marketing ideas and i don't even realize that that's kind of what's going on and i'm also at the time super into like social justice and uh and and charity and and helping people and i've got this heart for um other people i think probably because i'd had uh maybe because i was just emo i don't know maybe maybe my life hadn't been that hard up until then but because i'd felt struggle with my mom leaving and 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 all that kind of jazz i had this deep empathy for other people even from like a young age and so i was really had my ear to the ground in that kind of world and i noticed this trend this strategy this tactic that was happening around um kind of social enterprise early days of this like non-profit, for-profit marriage with things like, uh, I remember this t-shirt company called Hey Unite that were doing these t-shirts for charity that I was super into. And I remember Tom Shoes. This is where they just started becoming a thing. This was like 2007, I think. And I remember seeing, you know, for me, the fact that it was for-profit and helping other people and and the fact that they were helping other people helped them stand out. Like to me, I'm all about win-win solutions. So for me, doing Something good and benefiting from it is one plus one and it equals two. It's not, oh, doing something good and because I benefit from it, it takes it away, so it's zero. Like, I think that's bad math. Like, if I can uh, do something really good that I'm excited about and and blessing other people and it helps my work stand out and help me shortcut some of this maze, then I'm all for it. And so I had this idea for this indie rock coloring book that was going to be for charity. And this was kind of my secret shortcut around the maze, my idea on how I could stand out in the illustration world early on and hopefully skip any like any part-time, full-time, junior graphic designer jobs that I was going to, not, not just because I... I knew they would make me feel physically ill to have to sit in one spot for eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours. I knew that I wanted to avoid that because uh, it made me want to puke and, and die, but also because I thought that I wouldn't be able to get a job like that, and if I did, that I'd get fired from it um, because I'm not super productive in those tr- kind of conventional ways. Um, And so I was panicking, I was trying to figure out how to circumvent that situation and my idea, my shortcut strategy to skip across the maze, kind of, if you will, the magic whistle from Super Mario Brothers 3, skip to Bowser. So I thought I could take down Bowser, but getting through the levels, just I don't know if it was going to happen. So I created this idea, Indie Rock Coloring Book, ended up being published by Chronicle Books in 2009, a year after I graduated college. And I was doing all kinds of other things, launching my portfolio, trying to figure out anything I could do to kind of jumpstart my illustration career. And in the meantime, I felt like I was making so much progress. I was gaining a lot of hope. I'd come a long way from the person staring in my mom's eyes thinking that I was doomed uh, to all of this, tr- you know, I, was, I started to get illustration clients. I started to get recognized from different uh, publications and blogs and stuff like that. And my hope was growing so much so that I was taking these giant leaps of faith that I never thought that I would do. So I was getting, I, I got married. I had a kid. We got a mortgage early, like right out of the gate, out of college. I didn't get the memo from the rest of millennials saying, we're not going to have kids till we're 30. So I missed that boat completely. And I was high on all this excitement and this path and, and doing the Indie Rock Coloring Book and, and all this jazz. And Indie Rock Coloring Book went all over the freaking place. It was probably the most viral thing that I've ever done uh, to this date. It was on USA Today. It was on uh, Pitchfork Media. It was on TV on Ease That Morning Show. It was all over the place. And it was it was successful in helping me shortcut the maze to where I only had a part-time job for about nine months after school. And then I launched into full-time freelance and so shortly after graduation I get in this situation where this once-in-a-lifetime dream opportunity comes my way where uh, it was for a specific show but it was essentially to do illustration to be animated on Nickelodeon and I'd grown up drawing nickelodeon characters and i was getting an opportunity to have one of my characters on nickelodeon even to this day i can draw spongebob from memory pretty well uh and it was this dream opportunity i was blown away i had skipped the maze standing in front of this giant dragon this creative career destiny that it was my destiny to slay this thing and there i am with this opportunity to do this illustration to be animated for a kid's TV show on Nickelodeon. And I give that opportunity everything that I've got. I'm trying every trick I know, every style element I've got going on, everything that I have got up until this point, I'm trying it all. I put it all into the thing. I make the final, and I send it over, and I cross my fingers, and I'm like, yeah, come on, I'm taking this giant... Uh, plunge at this dragon and they quickly pretty quickly send an email back to uh, the finals that I sent over and they say something along the lines of these roughs look pretty cool but we're looking forward to seeing how it shapes up in the final stage let us know when you have that and if you didn't catch that Those were my finals. I had no way of making it any better than I'd made it. It was already pushing myself to the limits. And it was like the dragon just barely flicked its talon at me and sent me all the way back to the start of the maze. I remember I got that email. We were making homemade pizzas at my friend Kyle's house. It was very on brand as Dr. Pizza. Uh, Even back then, we were making these homemade pizzas. I was excited about the pizza. I got this email. I'm going to check my email real quick, see if they got back to me. They did get back to me. My hopes and dreams just crumbled before me. I've jacked up this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and i was devastated i remember my my wife and my friend uh my friends there were trying to talk me around like it's not so bad and i was like no let me just tell you the story let me just let me just lay it out here it's terrible i had a dream opportunity and i blew it big time and it'll probably never happen again and uh and they were like yeah that is pretty bad and we just sulked in our pizzas and uh not only that but uh, we'd moved back to America with some of the jobs that I'd got, uh, some of the money there. We uh, had taken all these risks. We had a kid, we had a mortgage, and it was right in the time of the recession and a lot of the momentum with the coloring book and the graduation stuff and the blogs all kind of peaked. And in about six months, all of my work dried up. And no matter what what I did, I couldn't get any more work through the door and i was in the situation where there was bill collectors calling me which i don't know if you've ever experienced what that feels like the amount of shame when you have to kind of like work your way around like yeah i don't know why i haven't paid you i mean i don't know but i will pay you you know it, it is the worst feeling in the world i remember like going into my living room uh, and laying face down on the floor, which I've told you this before on the podcast, that I had these moments early on in my career, just like laying face down on the floor in existential dread, knowing that I tasted my dreams and they had completely dried up from under me and I had no plan B. Now that I have a mortgage and a kid and all that, I can't even fake insanity and I had no idea what I was gonna do. This is one of my first massive uh, creative career life lessons that I learned. I think it's summarized best with this Tolkien quote. He said that shortcuts make long delays. And all this time, while I'm focused on, uh, you know, marketing my work and and figuring out how to have a shortcut and a breakthrough, I could have spent working through the maze, Uh, And instead, I was back where I started uh, having to do it all over again. And I was honestly so devastated by being burnt on this creative path that I just wanted to give up on creativity altogether. I kid you not. I remember thinking... I'm probably, I probably just need to figure out something completely different because I gave this everything I had and I got my butt handed to me and I need to just figure out something else. And so I got the only job I could get that wasn't minimum wage. uh, And it was at a juvenile detention center slash youth shelter. And I thought I'd be working at the youth shelter. And I thought that would be better because it was people focused so it had some meaning to it and also like I knew that they went out on field trips so you could like drive them to uh, I don't know get get snacks and stuff like that so you weren't like bound to a little area where I was going to lose my mind Uh, and uh, it wasn't like math it was people and I thought okay it's not minimum wage maybe this can be what I'll do And, uh, while I'm working there, I realize they tell me that I have to pick up shifts on the juvenile detention side. So I thought I was just going to be working at the youth shelter and I had to go pick up shifts at the detention center and I avoided it like crazy, but eventually I couldn't do it anymore. And they basically said that I was going to be fired if I didn't pick up these shifts. So I pick up these shifts and, uh, I remember the first day walking back into this locked down facility through this hallway of young uh, uh, offenders. I don't know what they call them in the States, but that's what they call them in the UK. Young offenders, it's people with, uh, you know, uh, teenage criminal records of all shapes and sizes walking through this locked facility. I'm like two or three years older than them. Uh, and 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 uh, I, I'm I'm walking through... And I go into the office and I'm just like uh, in a ball of anxiety because I had spent all of my time as a person on earth trying to figure out how to circumnavigate and avoid traditional employment because it felt like a jail cell. Working as a cashier at a movie theater, that little box I remember just crawling on my skin feeling like I was in jail, to being in traditional employment at an actual jail, and uh, and I was shaking with anxiety before I had to go unlock these doors and spend ten hours uh, in this virtually windowless uh, facility, and uh, and and the, and it was this crazy intense experience where you had to be trained how to. Uh, restrain someone if they were trying to harm somebody or harm themselves Uh, and you would hear this noise on uh, your radio this like It's like this clicking, siren-y, grating noise, and it meant that there was a life or death emergency, and everyone in the facility had to lock things down, run to where that noise was coming from, and help the employees there. And I will say that these people, they they were amazing people. Most of them were way bigger and stronger than me, and more hardcore than me, and not goofy, weird, creative, like, happy-go-lucky guy that gets you know, chewed up and spit out by these kids, but they were amazing. And they, they dealt with these situations with dignity and respect. And I was, you know, honored to be doing this with them. But I remember these moments at like 3am on the floor on this night shift, trying to hold a kid so that he doesn't hurt himself uh, with these other employees, sweating my face off, uh, being there for hours at a time. And remember just feeling so utterly hopeless, thinking, how did I get in this place? Like, six months ago, I was in my dream opportunities. And now I'm in a place that I never thought I would be. And uh, and I was devastated. I was shocked. And in this time, I get an email from a guy who had seen my Indie Rock coloring book and love this novel idea of adult coloring sidebar always listen to your wife i had done this indie rock coloring book was an adult coloring book there were no adult coloring books at the time to my knowledge there might have been some random ones or something but it was not a thing and my wife was like you should do more adult coloring books i think there's something to this this is like 2009 and i was like no that's who wants you know it's just kind of a novel gifty idea like adult coloring books, that's never going to take off. And I wouldn't be sat here doing this. I'd be sitting on mountains of cash doing this podcast uh, as a billionaire adult coloring giant, as they are out there. Uh, But but, so listen to your wife, kids. Uh, But my, this guy contacts me and says, I want to take this adult coloring thing to my gallery in Cincinnati. And it's this dude named Andrew Nyer. He's about the same age as me. Uh, and he said, let's take this adult coloring thing from your book and we'll bring, we'll do it. You can do a show at my gallery where you draw on the walls and people color it in. And I was like, that sounds like an amazing idea. I'd love to do that. And as we're planning things, it's getting more and more collaborative to where I feel like it's it's not really my show anymore and it should be something that we both do. And the day before we go do, go do the mural in the space, he calls me up and he's like, you know what we should do? They shouldn't just color it in with like regular markers. Like because it's a giant wall, like a giant coloring sheet, they should have giant markers to color it in. And I was like, yeah, if you know a wizard that can, that can supersize some markers. I am down for that idea. Uh, but, but otherwise, I don't know what we're going to do. And he was like, yeah, don't, just don't worry about it. I'll have them when you get there tomorrow. And I was like, what? And so anyway, I have no idea what he's talking about. I show up. There's these giant markers that blow my mind that people are going to draw on these walls with. And we do this crazy mural and it goes super well. And it goes so well that we get invited to do it in Indianapolis and Denver and all over the friggin' place. And I get to spend all this time with this dude, uh, Andrew Nyer, who makes all these... Uh, amazing products and, and prints. And he's got all these crazy zines. He had a zine that he made, I think, in college that was essentially a cereal box uh, that he screen printed. And, he, and the zine was packaged as the prize inside of the bag of, uh, 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 like, uh, Bran Flakes. So he has these crazy ideas. And I'm, my mind is absolutely blown by this, by this person that is just so completely and utterly gifted and uh, and, I, and by spending all this time doing this work with him and just uh, being around this person, I think for the first time ever, I'm deeply inspired to not just get to the part where I'm giving away my gift and, and having a career off of it, but also being genuinely, undeniably gifted. And I realized that that's what the maze was. It was you're working out... Uh, how what your gift is and where it fits in the world and how it's different and you master this thing before you get to the dragon, right? And so he was kind of a peer mentor and actually we kind of vice versa this thing where I was helping him get his gift out there and helped him think about marketing his stuff because he was doing these amazing things kind of underground and that if anybody knew about him, they would be so utterly amazed and, and obsessed that he would just skyrocket into uh, crazy stratospheres of, of uh, the creative career path. And he did, he did go on to do that. And I, I think this is kind of where I learned my second massive creative career lesson and it's on the back of this Picasso quote that I talk about on the podcast quite a bit which is the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away and I think I was so excited and so ready to get to the part so anxious to get to the part of giving away the gift that I neglected developing it And by spending this time with this kind of guide, this kind of mentor uh, of this person who was so clearly gifted, I was inspired to go through the maze properly and really understand my gift, know where it fits, and and know how it's different, and and really, uh, truly understand that part before I get to the part of giving it away. there I am back at the start of the maze. And I think the start of the maze uh, actually begins with these massive questions like, what is your gift? Like, who are you? And I didn't know the answer. And I thought, I think that my gift is illustration, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what good illustration was. You know, I think I I was surrounded by designers all the time, and they're so good at trying to answer these big questions. You know, uh, Frank Chimero has that talk. The shape of design where he's trying to define what is design, what's good design, what does it mean, you know, defining this target so that you can hit it, so you can get good at doing that thing. And, you know, Dieter Rams had his list of the 10 things that define good design, but I didn't, I couldn't find anything like that on illustration And, uh, you know, part of me was kind of almost wanted to give up there. Like, what if illustration is just like, um, there is no real good illustration. There's no metric for it. And like, it's more skin deep and just more up to chance than that. And it made me want to give up kind of from the spot because I couldn't find a good definition. And I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know what that gift was or, or, or what it meant to be good at that thing. But it's the only thing I had. So I got started and I thought illustration seems to be something about making pictures. So I'm just going to do a lot of that. So I made 260 pictures. I did a new character every weekday for a year and uh, just started working on those big questions. And I started doing more observational drawing. I remember drawing a horse like 80,000 times, trying to simplify these shapes and, and understand the anatomy of that. And and uh, I, I started incorporating that and that kind of practice into my work more. And uh, I wanted to get uh, I wanted to push myself on my process and get up to date. and I started working digitally. I got a graphics tablet. Uh, and I just started I started to try to just be good at illustration. And after I started developing that gift, I started to try to figure out where does it fit within the industry? What's the market? I thought maybe it was book covers. So I did this project where I was doing these uh, these fictional book covers from classic books. And about four or five book covers in, I decided that it was probably not where I fit since I don't read. Uh, (laughs) I do read books, but mostly nonfiction. Uh, And so I thought, well, that's probably not right. So I started doing editorial illustration and nobody wanted that from me. So I started writing my own articles and illustrating those. And uh, that started to develop a little bit. And I I worked through that and I thought, actually, I think the kids' illustration market is probably where my stuff fits the most. And I started working in that Market and as I'm doing all of these things with all these different directions and layers, it slowly but surely starts getting momentum. And you know, blogs start featuring my work again, and I start getting a few jobs through the door. It's not enough to become a full time illustrator, but doing this paid work means that I am an illustrator again. And my hope is rising and things are picking up and I start developing and all of a sudden I look around and I have, uh, you know, a few years in doing all these things in different directions. I am a full-time illustrator again. And uh, about this time, I get invited, we get invited to do the, the coloring mural show, Color Me. We get invited to go take it to New York City. And I remember it's just this, like, such an emotional time for me to go visit. You know, we connected with some of my heroes in their studios and visit these people that are just these uh, giants of the creative industry and, you know... It was just this emotional thing. I remember leaving some of those studios with just tears running down my face uh, because, unlike, you know, it seems like some people graduate from the fancy art schools and then, like, two months later, they're hanging out with Milton Glazer, chopping it up. And uh, that was not my experience. I had been working at a juvenile detention center, I had, like, gone straight face down into the living room floor after school and going and growing into this place in New York City, meeting these people and and getting these jobs and and, uh, doing all this jazz uh, was just deeply meaningful to me. Uh, And so while we were in New York City, some people from Nickelodeon came out and checked out the show. And a few months later... I got an email in my inbox asking me to do some illustration to be animated on Nickelodeon. And the the literary poetry of the moment was not lost on me. I could feel the heaviness of that email. There I was back at my creative career destiny dragon. Stood in front of this thing that had kicked my butt only three or four years previous to that. And it was that same moment, only this time I was different. Because this time I had worked my way through the maze. I'd met the guide. I'd worked up my creative muscles. I had pulled my gift, my sword, my pencil and the stone from the stone. This time I was armed against this dragon and I did every trick that I had and I had a lot more tricks up my sleeve and I tried I gave it everything I could give it and I sent off the finals and they replied pretty quickly and they said something like we love it and long story short I went on to kill that dragon 10 or 15 more times and they became my biggest repeat client and it was on Nickelodeon and I was super proud of the work and I've loved everything that I've made with them and uh, and it was just this incredible uh, moment to experience. And... Uh, I realized this thing while I'm there that I thought that that whisper at the beginning of my journey had lied to me. I thought it had said that, you know, the key to unlocking your creative career destiny is waiting for you the second you're ready to go. And I started my journey and there was no key, only a giant maze. And I thought, whisper, you lied to me. But after slaying that dragon, I realized that the whisper wasn't lying because if you step back, you can see that the maze is the key because the maze is what makes you into the person that can slay the dragon. had massively turned around and I was getting all kinds of good opportunities and my illustration career had really taken off and and had a really solid foundation and I was super excited and grateful but after slaying this dragon I still kind of had this lingering feeling that I hadn't really uh, clenched whatever this creative career destiny, this sweet spot, this thing that I was looking for. I felt like I hadn't quite attained it. It was like, you know, I'd started through that maze and I really wanted to be a good illustrator and understand what that meant and kind of develop that as a craft. And I still felt like I didn't really know whether I was an illustrator or what that meant. Uh, I didn't feel like I was kind of transcending into uh, my creative work like I thought I would. And uh, it was about that time maybe a year after that, uh, that I got this opportunity to do a talk, a little talk in my hometown. It was just a small little talk, but I'd put a ton into it. And I was really passionate about getting this opportunity. And uh, I go up and do the talk and my wife is there. And it's like this holy ground moment, this thing that Uh, That whatever was happening while I was doing it felt more like that sweet spot than anything I'd ever done before. And I remember just leaving that place with my wife and us looking at each other like, what the heck just happened? Like that felt unlike anything I've ever done in my creative career and uh, that eventually turned into this podcast, the Creative Pep Talk podcast. And I, and I was obsessed with something that was happening there and I didn't know what it was. All I knew was I was obsessed with how analogies and metaphors and stories could take the stuff I was interested in, the abstract ideas and theories and make them concrete for other people. I loved whatever these things were. Uh, I loved that feeling of taking these abstract but important notions and filtering them through an analogy into something concrete that people could hold on to and grasp. And I was obsessed with doing that in talks. I was obsessed with doing it through the podcast and I was getting high off of whatever this activity was, whatever this gift was, whatever this uh, craft I was trying to develop was. And I thought, maybe I'm not an illustrator at all. Maybe I'm actually more cut out to be a public speaker. Like, maybe I'm even better than that. And, and I thought, gosh, man, I'm going to have to start all over and do a whole other maze. And it was in this season, maybe a year or two into doing this podcast, that I heard a public speaker say this thing. And it absolutely blew my mind. And he called all these metaphors and analogies and stories in his talks illustrations. This just freaking blew my mind. This idea, this definition of illustration—that this idea, that illustration's purpose, what it is, what it means to do good illustration—is to take abstract things, abstract notions, and make them concrete. Like that's the job of of an illustrator. And I'd gotten so caught up with the what of illustration, you know, the what of my gift—gift, gift, whether that was drawing uh, or 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 speaking or analogies or metaphors that I neglected that the purpose of the gift is found in the why not the what it wasn't it didn't matter if I was speaking or drawing ultimately I was illustrating that's my gift that's my passion it, you know whether it's an editorial illustration which is uh illustrating a body of text, a body of text in a way is abstract. It's a theory. It's a, it's an abstract body of characters that's trying to convey a point and a meaning. And the purpose of the illustration first and foremost is to make that abstract notion, that paragraph of words into something really clear and concrete that you can get in a second. Like this is what this article is about on a, on a literal, uh, uh, level and even sometimes on a conceptual level, this way of taking this concept and making it come to life. And, uh, and this is where I learned my third biggest creative uh, career path lesson. And it comes from, uh, it's you know, summarized by Simon Sinek really well in this quote. He said that uh, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And I highly recommend that you go on this journey through the creative career path, through the maze, and you ask yourself these big questions. What is my gift? Where does it fit? And how is it different? And it's not a fun journey in a lot of ways. It's a tough journey. There are big, these questions are massive, but they're, they're do or die. And actually, if you look at even just whether you're an illustrator or not, it doesn't matter. You can see the illustration almost died, I think, because it didn't understand why it existed. It got so caught up on what it was. Back in the day when photography made its uh, big splash into uh, the print market, it almost snuffed out illustration because illustrators thought what they were doing was making concrete things concrete, was reproducing the visible. There's this Paul Clay quote from the artist. He said that art's purpose isn't to uh, recreate the visible, but to make visible. And that's the purpose of illustration. And so they misunderstood that. So they thought photography was gonna kill illustration, but photography was supposed to show you what's there and illustration is supposed to show you what's not there, what you couldn't see any other way. And that's the power of understanding the why of your gift, understanding and commanding your gift. And I highly recommend that you go to the start of the maze and you ask yourself those big questions. What's your gift? What's the power of it? Not just what it is, but why is it? And there's so much crazy power. When you have that clarity of that lens, everything uh, becomes so much clearer. And uh, when I realized that this thing that I was doing in my talks was illustration, illustration, Everything started to make sense, and I got, this is my gift. And I started feeling that sweet spot, whether I was drawing pictures or whether I was talking, it didn't really matter. So at the start of this series, I want to encourage you to not stay where you are and to get started and dive super deep into the maze. And act, in fact, you've got to go through the maze a bunch of times through your career. So even if you've gone through it before, I'm going to encourage you to go through it all over again and find new things in this maze and uncover some new treasure chests and, and develop new muscles and take it to the next level wherever you are. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that because I wish... Someone had encouraged me to do that. And I look back on uh, young Andy who's looking for a secret shortcut through the maze, and I'm like, no, come on, man. And I look at Andy who wants to give up on creativity altogether, and I'm like, no. You know, I think uh, Buddhism is uh, really in vogue at the moment, and a lot of Buddhist principles and ideas and things around that, mindfulness, meditation. uh, I think there's a lot of really good principles uh, in this uh, religion and, and ideology, uh, but there's this one quote that uh, is, a, is a Buddhist quote that I think is kind of prevalent as an idea in our culture right now. And I think it's kind of twisted its original intent and it's kind of an excuse for apathy. And it's this quote that's really clever and it says something like, uh, like the quickest route to success is to redefine it as what you already have now. And I think the purpose of that quote it's just saying that you know you can have success today if you just define where you're already at as success. And I think the purpose of the quote is to uh, is to give you gratitude and and accept where you are and uh, and 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 there's a lot of like good sides to it. but I'm so glad I'm so glad that twenty two year old Andy did not adopt that philosophy and stay where he was perfectly fine with where he was because I'm so grateful for being on the other side of that maze I'm so grateful to the places that it's taken me I'm so grateful that I get to wield a gift that I'm so thrilled about working at and diving deeper into and getting better at and I get so much crazy euphoric joy from you know attempting to master the art of something. If you look at, you know, into the science of flow, it would even say that your highest levels of joy as a human come from being able to dive into something that you have some mastery in. And I'm so glad that I went on that journey. And sometimes I'm so excited about the stuff that I'm doing right now. And I'm so grateful that I'm this ball of energy and consciousness. I'm like shooting it out through space time saying like, oh, thank you. I'm so glad that I get to do this. And I'm, and I look back on younger Andy and I'm like, come on, man. Like, dude, you've got to do it. Like, come on, listen, the key to your creative career destiny. is waiting for you whenever you're ready. And sometimes I think about how our minds, just let me get weird for a minute, how our minds are pure consciousness and that that means that maybe they transcend time and space because they're like beyond matter. And I sometimes think that whisper that I heard at age 22 was actually future Andy whispering that thing, saying that the key's ready whenever you're ready. And I couldn't quite understand that he meant that it was the maze that saying yes to the maze was the key, saying yes to the journey was the key, that it would be the thing that unlocked the things in me that could achieve the creative career destiny. And I love that idea. And today I want to be the future you, the future whisper, sending my grateful energy, my encouraging energy through space time, whispering to you not to stay where you are, not to define success as what you already have attained, but to keep going and keep growing and keep moving forward. And my last big uh lesson wisdom my last big value in this creative career path comes from joseph campbell and he says the real question is whether you're going to be able to say a big hearty yes to your adventure because guess what it's called an adventure because it's not all good times an adventure, a journey. The maze is going to have blood, sweat, and tears. You're going to have times where you're face down on the living room floor. That's what makes it an adventure. That's what grows the muscles. That's what unlocks the creative career destiny. And the only thing you've got to do is decide, are you going to say yes? All right, so... That is kind of my whole life story in a way. Uh, so I hope that you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Uh, you know, I want to just give you a quick little spiel about this series that we're going to do. This series is probably uh, my biggest passion and interest, uh, obsession over the past three or four years. Uh, some of these breakthroughs and ideas that we're going to go through in this series, you know, I might turn them into a book one day. I think that they would work really well in that content, but I wanted to get them to the Creative Pep Talk listeners. Uh, I feel like it's just been too long and I feel like it's ready to share. And so uh, I'm really, I could not be more excited about doing this series and I want you to think about it like uh, kind of your creative career handbook that uh, you carry along the way. And so one thing I want to say though is that You know, I have. I feel like I'm very much on the journey, in the path, doing the thing, uh, trying to master my craft, and I've made progress on that. Uh, And so, one part of this is uh, here's all the lessons I've learned that are kind of tried and true and tested. And another part of it is here's me cataloging my adventure. And I. And one thing I want to say is that this is not the only creative career path. There are lots of paths and lots of different ways to do this. To me, this is the most surefire way uh, to make creative career progress that I have seen and used. And so that's what it is. It doesn't mean it's the only way or the right way or whatever. To me, it's just the most surefire way uh, that I have seen and used myself. So that that's just my disclaimer for this series. I am incredibly excited to to bring it to you and I hope that it uh, just acts as your little field guide to going on this journey. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had an impact on your career or your creative journey, there are a few ways you can support the show. You can review the show on iTunes, you can back the podcast financially, kind of like we're your favorite public radio show uh, at Patreon. We're not a public radio show, I should say that, but it's kind of like that. Uh, you can go back at financially at patreon.com slash creative pep talk, or you can do like a give and take thing, which is totally fine. Uh, I love making posters and stuff and jazz to share with you guys. So if you want to just get some merch, you can go to creativepeptalk.com slash shop. You can access the first 100 episodes and stay up to date with all new Creative Pep Talk stuff by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thank you, guys. And thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for uh, some other tunes. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the show and providing uh, a lot of other good tunes on the show. I really appreciate you, man. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. I hope this has brought a ridiculous, supercharged. I hope that you have so much pep in your tank that it's spilling out like Harry filling up the tank on Dumb and Dumber, and it, there's so much gasoline everywhere it starts a fire of passion for your creative, <laughs> for your creative career. Uh, and until that runs out next week, stay pepped up.